nine attributes of God. Uh, somebody said, is that all? I said, well, that's at least <laughs> nine attributes. Now, there's a lot that I have to say about this. I'm not going to try to say it all tonight. This is I've already got three lessons just on sovereignty. And uh, <clears throat> understanding God is the most important thing in our lives. Knowing Him. Knowing God. And Satan has tried to thwart that ever since his existence. He's tried to denigrate God and paint a different picture than he really is. And I have to say, through searching history, history and uh, historical records, uh, he's been quite, uh, quite a good uh, doer of that. Satan has been, has, has, he's, a, he's a military genius, and he knows where to hit us. But I must say, after the pronouncement of God uh, in the Garden of Eden, he is limited to the dust of the earth. And guess where we came from? So he is limited to our flesh. He's, he's barred from our spirit, but he's, he's limited to our flesh. However, he makes optimum use of that. He knows humanity. He's been around long enough. He's watched us, and he knows exactly how to get to us. In fact, of course, we're not going to go there very much tonight, but at some point, we want to look at how this thing got started. Uh, and, and he actually knew that the same thing that caused him to fall would be the thing that caused Adam to fall. And he uses the virtually the same tactics today. Now, the list, if I had my whiteboard ready and hadn't messed it up today, I would have these written, but uh, the nine attributes of God is sovereignty, judgment, righteous, righteousness, immutable, love, eternal life, omnipotence, omnipresent, and omniscient. And we're going to try to look at all of those. I, I, I would be uh, uh, not telling the truth if I said this was going to be exhaustive. I cannot. There's too much to say. Uh, and I've already been guilty of doing people studying for them a long time in my life. But there's quite a few books out there and some good reputable men of God that have addressed some of these issues. And, and I would recommend you get some of that. But uh, the definition that the dictionary has about sovereignty, of course, let me say this about sovereignty. All of these attributes it comes under the heading of sovereignty. God is sovereignly judgment. He is sovereignly righteous. He is sovereignly immutable. He is sovereignly love. He's, in so he's sovereignly eternal life. He's sovereignly omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. He's sovereignly all those things. So that's kind of why we're, we're taking a lot of time with this one rather than the other, uh, the other eight of them. But the dictionary says that sovereignty uh, is supreme power, especially over a body politic, a ruler over people. Uh, number two, freedom from external control uh, or autonomy. Autonomy is the quality or state of being self-governing. And you can say that God is that way, you know. Uh, but, but one thing you have to realize if you're a Bible student 
If you're a real Bible student, you know that sovereignty, the word sovereignty, is not in the Bible. Anywhere. Not to say that God's not sovereign. I mean, He is. We know that. I mean, my Lord. He is sovereign. But now, let's, let's go back. The first sovereign act of God concerning human beings. Of course, the first, I guess, was the creation of the universe uh, as a sovereign God. Of course, we don't know how long ago that's been. We don't know how many times it's been. I mean, He's always been. So, uh, but this time around, we have a universe to look at. But the first uh, act of the sovereignty of God concerning human beings is to give mankind the ability to determine and choose his own destiny. Now, at some point during this lesson, it's probably going to be more on lesson three about this, we're going to look at Gnosticism and where uh, Valentin uh, uh, Calvinism really got its roots and got started. Uh, it, uh, Gnosticism has been around a long, long time. As I said, we're going to get into that. You've got the Gnosticism uh, of the uh, of the Jews and the, of the Egyptians and the Essenes and all those. We'll we'll, we'll touch on a lot of that, but uh, uh, we have to realize that that these concepts about God. Uh, were infiltrated by the enemy and because he knew the outcome. He knew he started something and knew where it would end up. So he had a, he had a plan. And a good military officer uh, knows this. He knows that kind of strategy where that if you do something here, then later on down the road, uh, this, this will be the effect of it. It's, it's quite a shame that Christians haven't been wise concerning their life and concerning the things of, uh, you know, of our lives. Uh, but Jesus himself said to be wise as what? A serpent, but harmless as a dove. And you know, the thing about being wise as a serpent, I always thought it was kind of odd that he said that till I really got looking at what a serpent does. You know, a serpent doesn't give up on its prey. And Jesus wants us to be that wise. Don't give up on people. Don't give up, you know, because he's not going to... I mean, here, think about this. This snake, which all he is, is a tail with a mouth. That's all, that's all a snake. And he catches birds that fly. Why? Because he's subtle. He knows how to catch his prey. And so, the same way... Uh, that, God, that Jesus is telling us to be, that's the way the devil is. He knows how to get to us. There are certain uh, idiosyncrasies that I have, that you have, that are not the same, but he has, I think, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, demon hunting all the time or anything, but, but I think possibly he has certain entities that, uh, that are assigned to us and gets to know us and tries to lure us away certain ways. He, what could lure me away possibly would no way lure you. See, uh, I mean, because I have participated in smoking marijuana, that is a lure for me. But uh, my wife never has. So that's, that's nothing. That's just ridiculous. See? So the enemy knows that kind of thing. It doesn't mean, you know, that I'm going to give in to it, but it's just there. Just there. And so this, this, uh, 
This act of kindness that Jesus did, I mean, this cost heaven dearly to give His man the freedom of choice. Did you know the devil knew that? The devil knew that mankind had a choice. Now, it's my position, and you don't have... I'm going to say a lot of things probably in this course that is not going to be traditional. I'm not a traditional person. I try to approach the Word of God in a new and newness every time I approach it because I don't want it to cloud. Because you say, And I'll get into talking about how a belief is formed a little later. But I don't want my, my prior beliefs about something to hinder me from advancing in God's kingdom. Because it will. I mean, the things that I'm saying right now, your, your heart is filtering it through what you've already heard. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How do we receive from God? How do we how, how do how do you think we receive from God? Huh? How if you're asking for something, how do you receive it? By asking? By faith? Most people respond to that as in faith. They say, well, we by grace, you know, we receive. But but if you'll take a closer look at those passages, you'll see that we receive by hearing. By hearing it comes. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So you see, it's what we've heard in the past that gets in the way a lot of times of our uh, adaption, adaptation uh, to the Word of God. Because if He wants to say something new to us that is contrary to what I've already put in my heart about it, then possibly it will throw up a screen and say, no, we, we can't receive that. See, And so just to put that in uh, your, your heart there a little bit before, before we go further in this, because as I said, I'm going to say a lot of things that are not traditional, especially about sovereignty. Uh, the, sovereignty, the sovereignty teaching got really, really strong uh, about the 15th century. Uh, and of course, it was, it was before then, but it really got, uh, uh, it became canonized. Guess what else happened about the 15th century? We had the translation of the King James Version. See? And a lot of other uh, translations came before and, and after that. But it's interesting to me when you begin to recognize how that the translators sometimes missed it. Most of those boys were not filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was not their teacher. And they were just good scholars of Hebrew and Greek. And they came up with the best thing that they could. And of course the Holy Spirit has uh, watched over that and I think they've done a pretty good job for the most part. But uh, if you'll read Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, I want you to look what God said to these people, which he in turn says to us, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. He said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live forever. That may live, actually, what I said. May live. Now, God has set this before people. He had to. Now here's something I'm going to say to you, and I don't want you to reject it because it goes against what we've heard all of our lives. 
Because a lot of these things that I'm saying to you are premeditated. I have meditated these things out in, in praying in other tongues, which, you know, tongues is a revelation gift. And the Holy Spirit has, has revealed things to me that I could not receive any other way. Did you know that I personally, as a teacher and a, and a preacher, I cannot give you revelation knowledge. I can give you my revelation, and you can say that, but only the Holy Spirit can give you the revelation. And the mechanism that God has chosen to give us divine illumination is this language of tongues. And by doing that, scriptures come alive. My wife and I, how long has this been? Probably a year. We were, sit, we were laying in the bed. We usually try to pray, you know, especially if something comes on us, you know, we'll, we'll just start interceding and praying, whatever. And uh, we'd got through, and she had already put her ear things in, I think, because she sleeps with ear to keep from hearing me breathe. <laughs> but uh, I was laying there about to go to sleep, and the Holy Spirit said something I've never heard anybody say. No preacher anywhere has ever said what the Holy Spirit said to me at that point about Adam. And it was just like, it was a question. It was very simple. He said, did you ever realize that Satan didn't speak to Adam? Now, he didn't say, he said, did you ever realize Adam, that Satan didn't talk to Adam? And boy, that just, that shocked me. And, uh, I mean, I had to, you know, you talk about getting you to thinking. Because that's what I always thought. I always thought, yeah, he had a conversation with him. And, you know, talk, but, it, but the Bible says that Adam was not deceived, didn't it? Eve was deceived. And so I studied that, studied that. I called a friend of mine up in Tacoma, Washington, Jan Butler. He's a, he's a great man of God. And I, I said, Jan, this is what God, this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, wow, Jerry, I've never seen that. But he said, it fits. It bears witness. And so I got to studying that, and of course there's going to more be coming, I'm sure, about that. But I got to thinking about that, 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 the, that the enemy, when you have a word from God, I don't care what it is. If it, if it, now Adam had a word from God about the tree, didn't he? I mean, verbally. God said, do not eat of this tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. It's muth muth in the Hebrew. It's uh, two deaths. Which means that he's of course going to die spiritually. He's going to die physically. A lot of people believe that he died spiritually then. I don't. I think it took uh, several uh, years. By the sixth chapter he had uh, lost his spiritual identity. But I got to thinking about that. That yeah, uh, Adam had a word from God. But Eve had a word from Adam. And so she is the one that was not in the know as far as Adam was. And so he snuck in the back door and told that woman this, these lies about God. Hath God said? He, see, he painted a picture to her about, and questioned God. What God said. Because Adam told her what God said. But it wasn't a personal word. It was to her. And so what the enemy does, he comes to the person that is closest to you 
and uses them sometimes to speak to you. And, and Adam full well knew what was happening and he partook of the fruit because his wife wanted him to. So, it cost heaven a lot to give man free choice. I personally don't believe that God planted the tree of good and evil. The knowledge. I don't believe God put it there. I believe the enemy did. You see, a tree is a manufacturing system. Any kind of tree. An oak tree manufactures acorns. Apple trees manufacture apples. And so the tree of life manufactures life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil manufactures a different way. Another kind. See. And so that's why he went, that's why God God knew about it. God knew it was there. He just simply said, Adam, you can't you can't eat that. Don't do not eat that. And we're going to get into more of that a little later probably, but I don't want to take up my time with that. Uh, tr- true love for God is out of a pure choice with no ulterior motives. You know, a lot of people, you'll say, well, you know, he loves God. No, no, no. I mean, I, I was in my office in 19... I forget now whether it was 1990 or 91. It was May, though. And I had been studying about... Uh, self-worth and those kind of issues and and learning about the love of God. And all of a sudden in my office, the Lord said, Jerry, you do not love me. And it just really messed with my mind. I mean, in a way, it was devastating because I thought I did. I mean, I'd been to Ramah. I'd been preaching since I was 14 years old. And I was what there, uh, I don't know, uh, what was I, 35, 36 years old at that point in time? And then for the Lord to tell me I didn't love Him? And so then I began a journey on how to love God. How, you know, for The first thing, of course, is finding out how much He loves us. John wrote in 1 John, he said, We have known and believed the love that God has for us. So discovering that is the most important thing in our lives, you see. I thought that my love for him was connected with my doings. You know, my, my church visitation and, and, you know, my studying and, and the amount of time that I prayed and see God, look what I've done. Or the things that I'd put up with in my life as a minister, as a pastor. Brother Paul knows about this. The people that, I mean, people that are your, your, you're supposed to be your sheep, they can really hurt you if you're hurtable. The thing is, the more we implant ourselves into Him, into God, we become undevourable. We become unoffendable. See? And, 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 but I, I hadn't gotten to that point at that time. And so I threw it up to Him. You know what all I'd been through because of my commitment to the ministry. You know, when you're 14 and you go to high school the next day after you announce on Monday that you announced that you were called to preach and the, the mean boys pounce on you and treat you bad. See? And so that went on and, and different things. So, so my love for God then has to be out of pure choice. I have, in spite of my challenges, in spite of things that happen to me, uh, in spite of the problems, the things that come against me, I have to still choose to love Him. 
And when we get into the fact that he is love, we'll, we'll develop that, that thought more. But, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't receive today because God loves you. You receive because of how much you love him. See? How much, how much are you committed to him? See? He, he, I mean, he's not withholding. It's just that you're not receiving. See? Love causes you to receive. Love is a receiver. See? So, not to have any ulterior motive, to love God with no strings attached. I know people personally that say, well, if God loved me, He wouldn't let me be going through this. And these people that's got the sovereignty of God all messed up will say, well, you know, things happen for a reason. You know, I find, I find that most times it happens because they're idiots. That's why things happen to people. Uh, so, Romans 8.28, I mean, that is, that's a huge one. People pull 8.28 out, don't they? And they say, all things work together. I don't know why this has happened, but you know all things work together for them that love God and are called according to their purpose. I mean, they'll put it on a sticker, they'll put it on, you know, whatever. And they live by that. You know, no matter what happens, we're going to get into that. We're going to, talk, we're going to expose Calvinism for what it is. Calvinism has crept in to virtually every religion on the face of this earth. Can you believe that? I mean, the Pentecostals are into it. They're not into the once saved, always saved part, but they're into the other. God's in control. How many, how many preachers have you heard getting, you know, stand on their hind legs in a pulpit and pray, God's in control, brother. No, he's not. If he was in control, the world would know him. He's not in control. In this dispensation, Brother Paul agreed with this, I'm sure, he's given the control to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we grow to the point where we know who we are and we start executing that in, in that momentum on this earth, I'm telling you the enemy has to sit up and take notice because the church of the Lord, we have the same call that Jesus had while he was here. We have the same mission. We have the same responsibility that Jesus had. He left it with us. The Holy Spirit's the new administrator and the church is the arm. I mean, the church has got the, 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 the call, the mission. I mean, what happened to the Great Commission? Satan has got us caught up in making a living. And, you know, most people's goal is to raise their kids and go, let them go to college and get a good job. And they're satisfied. I'm not satisfied with that. I want my kids to grow up and love God and find out why God put them on this earth. Forgive me for yelling there a little bit. But you know, the reason all things work together for good to them that love God. Notice it did not say, for all things work together for good to those that God loves. For those that love God. Those that love God. Because you see, love that one of, you know, agape, the word agape was far before the New Testament. The Holy Spirit just picked it up and used it to describe one of the attributes of God. The God kind of, the, the kind of love that doesn't require a response. If I'm going to love you the God way, then you don't have to respond to me. Because my love is 
persistent. My love is constant if it's agape. And that's, so that's the way God love is. And we'll talk about that when we get over to there. That, but uh, All things work together for them that love God and are called according to purpose because of verses 26 and 27. Because we are praying in the Spirit. We and the Spirit of God living inside us and our, our human spirit praying out the mysteries of God, praying out our future, all those things are going to line up and it's going to come to pass the way God has intended it to. See, I've got a message I did. It's on my podcast if you want to search for it. It's called Praying Your Future. Praying out your future. And that's how it's done. We are not a victim of circumstance. We're a victim of ignorance, ignorance, because we've chosen to uh, we've chosen to put everything ahead of God. You know, our, our family, our, our our spouse, our our jobs, uh, our church, everything we put ahead of Him. And so, for us to choose to love Him in the face of all of our challenges truly delights Him. He delights in that. Let me get a drink of water here. I say this is going to be three lessons. It's looking like it's going to be more, but oh well. Now, you know, you remember that the angels had choice, didn't they? Uh, in Jude and, and 2 Peter 2.4, Jude verse 6, you know, intimate that, that they chose to leave their habitation. They did not retain. They, chose, they listened to the lie. I wonder what kind of message Lucifer preached. I mean, it must have been, it must have been amazing. If you'll just follow me, look what you'll have. Have you ever heard of uh, Dejus Denacrin? Denacrin, brother Paul, have you Dejus Denacrin? Dejus Denacrin. He was an Indian minister uh, in India that ministered to millions of people every month. And he had several visitations uh, from Jesus. Jesus took him to heaven several times. On one of those occasions, he thought it was Jesus coming to him, looked just like him, everything. And suddenly he realized it was the enemy. And so he didn't even... The enemy didn't even say, well, you know, he just said, what has God really done for you? And he was trying to get to him, and that's, that's a long story. But, but, but these angels had choices. They could have chosen. You know, if God interrupts your choice, then he's no longer God. He's your manipulator. He cannot interrupt your choice process. Even though he's seeing you uh, make the wrong choice. He saw Adam. You know, God, God's all-knowing. He, he saw Adam make the wrong choice. And I want to, and, and you'll understand my, why I'm saying this a little later in this course, but I want to say to the people that God put somebody in the hospital to keep them from doing something bad so that they could win somebody to Jesus and that way well, I want to say, well, why didn't God do that to Adam before he walked over to that tree? Why didn't, before he got a hold of that fruit, why didn't he just strike lightning and, you know, chopped his hand off or something? You know, look what that would have saved. 
But he can't do that. Now, how many's ever heard of Jethro Tull? A band group. Anybody ever heard of that? Back in the 70s, late 60s, Jethro Tull was a band, was a group. On one of their albums, it actually says this. In the beginning, God created man, and then man returned the favor. Because you see, that's what we've done with God. As a human race, what we've done is we've conformed God into our image. We want him to be like we want him to be. So choice, you know, is really what the tree of knowledge and evil, you know, why it existed about choice. Satan knew that choice was the centerpiece (coughs) of mankind. God honors our choices even when they're the wrong ones. In one sense of the word, I wish he wouldn't be that way. I wish he would make me make all the right choices. I mean, it gets to the point where when you're driving on 285, since I've left Oklahoma now, I'm back in the thick of it. It was wonderful out there. They call three or four cars a traffic jam out there. Our town only had 1,400 people. But on 285, here's, here's how choices go with me. Here I am driving, and they won't get out of the way, so I see, I'm going to change lanes, and then, then that lane stops. That was a bad choice, see. It gets down to that minute of a thing. So we need to realize that we can, be fo- we can follow the Holy Spirit. We can listen to our spirit and make right choices. So, so that's, you know, God honors those. And, and as I said a while ago, if he interfered with our choices, he would not be God anymore. He would be a manipulator. Now, an inaccurate understanding of God is, can be very, very devastating to our lives. An inaccurate understanding and a view. What, what is your view of God? Uh, the fall of man began with the challenge of, of the authenticity of God's Word. There's lots of people out there that don't believe this Bible is God's Word. Lot, lots of people. Well, that's just, you know, man wrote that. That's just, and, and, and I mean, you, do, you have nothing to combat that with. That's why I believe the gifts of the Spirit are so necessary so that we can we can get people's attention and say, look, this is real. This book is real. This is what it said it would do. Now we've done this. And why don't you believe God now? See, That's what those gifts are for. It's not just so that some man somewhere can be exalted because he's a healer. It's so that we can take the love of God, the Father, to the world. See, In fact, gifts of healings should be an entry uh, level. Thing. Gifts of healings should be entry for, for any Christian. So, uh, how you view or how you understand God is basically how you conduct your life. I've said it this way before, maybe this is better. You, you become just like the God that you believe in. If you, and if you'll talk to a Muslim, how many ever talked to one? If you'll talk to a Muslim, they'll tell you right off that their God is not love. That's offensive to their God. But our God is love. So if if their God is not love, then they conduct their lives the same way. 
they do the killing in the name of Allah and because that's, that's how he thinks he is. I've often wondered, why didn't they just let Allah do it? You know? So, there's two extremes about God. One is to recognize, to exaggerate our ability to understand God so he conforms to our way of thinking. Now, now I guess it's still true in Great Britain, you cannot preach from Romans chapter 1 anymore. Is that, is that still true? That's the latest thing I've heard that they are forbidding preachers to preach from Romans 1 because of what it says about homosexuality. But if you'll read that with this, and this is how the Holy Spirit revealed it to me. What that chapter says is that the love of God gave them what they wanted. They kept on. They changed. Actually, it's the word exchanged. They, they exchanged the view, the right, correct view of God into a corrupt view like mankind. They exchanged that. They did, in other words, they traded it for what they thought was a better deal. And God said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm turning you over. Here you go. And so mankind reaped what they, what they uh, thought. That, that's verses 21 through 26 in Romans 1. So God's love gave them what they wanted, and then they had to experience the choice. Now let me tell you something. We live here in this, in this America, in the United States of America, and we're seeing the same things take place. They are intent. They are determined to get their way. They want to make it a normal part of life. That is just another, it's just a normal part of human beings. But I'm telling you, it's going to be the same way. They're going to get what they want. Yeah, they're going to get exactly what they want. Now, number two, the other extreme about God <coughs> is to exaggerate our inability to understand God. The other one is, oh yeah, we understand. He's this way, he's that way. You know, all roads lead to God. And then the other extreme is, you can't know him. That's the other extreme. And, so, and, and that's where humanity is today in a lot of places. So let me ask you this, and I'm going to close with this. Let me see how many minutes I've gone. Not very long, 35. What's getting born again for? What is the new birth for? The new birth, we've, we, all, all of our lives pretty much we've been uh, kind of told that we get saved so we can go to heaven. But getting saved is not why, we, you know, going to heaven is not why we get saved. We get born again so that we can know the Father. That's why you become a child and just like an infant, he gets to know his Father. See, And he, and he picks up characteristics. And the more that he gets to know his father, the more characteristics he begins to walk out. See, I was raised uh, by a stepfather, and I'm so thankful. A wonderful man. But my stepfather, when he was 12 years old, hurt his hip, and they froze his joint. Uh, and, and so he walked kind of stick-legged, kind of, you know, all, all of my growing up. And so mom told me one time that, I would imitate him as a little bitty boy. I went to live with him when I was 18 months old. And so virtually, I'd only been walking about four or five months. And so I would walk the way he walked, see. 
And so that's the reason for the new birth. We've come into a family. You can't join this family. You have to be born into it. You can't assimilate into this family. You can't just hang around and become, you know, one of you. are still a hired hand. <laughs> you have to be born into the family. And then when you're born into the family, you begin to know Him. And see, this is why in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, it says there that tongues is spoken to God. And, and, and those tongues we are praying out mysteries. And those mysteries are little tiny bits of revelation that has to do with every step of our lives. As we pray them out, we begin walking in those. A mystery is that which being outside the range of natural, unassisted apprehension and can be made known to you only by the Holy Spirit, the divine illuminator. And so that's his job. Jesus came to, I call it exegete the Father. Exegesis means to make clear the meaning. He came to show us the Father. And the Holy Spirit came to show us Jesus. And as we get Jesus, we begin to know the Father. And so God and anthropomorphism are characteristics that God has assigned to Himself to help us better understand how He operates. Now we all know about the, the seven redemptive names. You know, <coughs> excuse me, Jehovah Reah, the, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that sees and provides. I need to fix this, don't I, brother? I built this and I just noticed that. <laughs> Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals and restores our soul. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Thou art with me. Amen. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our canopy or our covering or our protector. But see, those are kind of anthropomorphic. But an anthropomorphism is like the word Father. Now God is far more than a father. But that term he assigned to himself gets us to understand what does a father do? A father is a provider. A good father is. And God is a good father. Now is there any, at any point in your life that he will stop being your provider? No. No point. I mean... I, I would provide for my kids no matter what. I will go hungry so that my kids will eat. Well, you know, God don't have to go hungry. He, he is provider. You know, we need to worship Him as provider. We need to spend about an hour just, just talking about, uh, you know, these names, these, these descriptive names of God. Just, just worship. Father, I thank You that You are my shepherd. You lead me beside still waters. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that you, you provide for me no matter what. Let me, let me go ahead and step a little further in this. He will provide for you no matter what sin you're in. He is the provider. There's things that you're going to get to, and I'm telling you, uh, in the day in which we live, there, there's doctrines going around out there that, uh, that, that, that you know, take the emphasis on personal sin. But you know the, the problem with that is 
The more sin you get into, the further away you'll want to be from Father. You can, you can actually get to the point where you say, yeah, you know, that, you know. So, Father, the term is an anthropomorphism. Now, Holy Spirit is not. Holy Spirit is not His name. He is the Holy Spirit. But, the, but it's not an anthro. We can't really get to know Him like we can get to know the Father and Jesus. See, it, it wasn't meant that way. It wasn't meant for us to become, uh, you know, best friends with the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is our leader. He will. He he's right there every morning. I like Brother Benny Hinn wrote a book. Good morning, Holy. That's that's great. But you see, he wants us to point toward Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be worshipped. He doesn't want to be prayed to. He wants us to talk to Jesus and the Father. See, that's his job. So Jesus came to make clear. And, and, and that God and understandable so that people may, may know Him. John 17 and 3, Jesus was praying that great prayer. John 17th chapter, I think, is the real Lord's prayer. He prayed that. And He said, Father, that they may know Thee. Amen. That they may know Thee. Uh, John 1, 18 and 14 and 9 uh, does the, basically the same thing. So, in, these, in, this, in this class, I wanted to establish... That, that the sovereignty of God is qualified by His love. The sovereignty of God is not Him going around arbitrarily doing stuff for you or to you without your consent and your cooperation. That's not sovereignty. Sovereignty is not taking little babies I know, I know of a preacher, I don't know him personally, but I, I've heard him testify that uh, he wouldn't answer his call to the ministry until God killed all of his family, his kids, his wife. And he said, well, you know, I'm ready now. Because he was putting his family before God. But you know, now when we get over into this course talking about Calvinism and Gnosticism, you'll know why people come up with those stupid things. My father's not going to kill anybody. My father's not going to kill me and my babies. My father's not going to do anything that's going to hinder me. Amen? Praise God. Well, that ends it for today. And Barbara just walked in. <laughs>